temptation that is uh, all around us all the time, and the devil is sneaky, and he knows what will uh, most allure us away from being holy unto God or set apart unto God. And we talked about uh, last week, if you were here, we talked about the reality is there's kind of an outside that we can kind of present to people, but we have an inside. And our inside can be rotting away while our outside and our, the way we present ourselves can look just fine. And that uh, to be holy, we need to be a people uh, that will be working on our inside, be working on our inside, that we would be preparing our spirit uh, to be right with God. We're going to uh, continue this morning talking about and sort of concluding uh, talking about this idea of holiness. And in order to set that up, I want to tell you about a couple of farmers right after we pray. So let's pray together. Father, we ask again this week that you'd, you'd help us to forget everything that takes place in this service, except for exactly what we need to work on in our life to be right with you. We thank you for all of the participants and the things that we encounter, whether it be the lyrics of the songs or a communion meditation or a sermon. Father, we know that you will use these things to communicate to us. We ask that we would be open and receptive what you want to teach us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Two farmers. Two farmers. And uh, first farmer, he wakes up. It is a beautiful sunny day. Maybe it's late in the fall. Maybe it's after even harvest. And, and he wakes up and the sun is shining and uh, uh, no uh, uh, rain or the, the ground is uh, uh, not wet. And so he makes his way out and uh, he begins to uh, till the field or chisel plow or disc or whatever he needs to do to prep uh, that soil. And he's uh, working at it diligently. And then winter goes by and maybe early in the spring, he's right back out there and he's working away. Because what his desire is, is that come fall, come harvest, he would reap a great harvest for his labor. That's his desire. He wants to be able to provide for his family and those around him, and he knows he's got to get after it and get to work, and that's, that's his desire. And so he works that ground and prepares that ground, and then uh, he goes and he hires some uh, people to come around him, and, and uh, they work diligently at planting, and you know they uh, pour the seed into the planter, and they go out and work the field back and forth and plant all of that seed and beans in some crop, or beans in some fields, and, and corn and other fields, and he puts all of that seed in the ground, and he uh, works away at it, and it uh, begins as it did just right outside these doors and across the street just a few short months ago. Uh, you begin to uh, see it sort of pop up out of the ground, and, and the corn, the you know, little tiny leaves that are there, and it begins to grow, and so he goes out, and he sprays that field, and and uh, gets rid of all of the weeds, the things that might choke it out from growing. And he works that uh, field, and he works that field. And then he begins to work on his equipment as the crops grow. As he's going to prepare for the harvest. And he gets ready, and he gets the uh, grain cart, you know, wheels all uh, oiled up or greased up. And he gets the combine ready, and he's got the bean head ready and the corn head ready for the combine. And uh, he's got the tractors there in place. The semi's all ready to go to take it uh, into the elevator. And all of these things, he's working and working and working and working nonstop, just working away. And sure enough, at the end of the season, he's able to look back, and he has had a tremendous Crop. He has planted just a seed and it has produced a yield that is a hundred or two hundred or two hundred and fifty fold. It is a tremendous reward 
for the labor that he has put in. That's farmer, <clears throat> farmer number one. Farmer number two. Farmer number two. He wakes up in the morning. It is a beautiful sunny day and he takes the newspaper and he sits out on the porch and he reads that. And sure enough, it says right there in the weather section that it is going to be a beautiful, beautiful day. The sun is going to be shining and uh, the, the dirt's not going to be too wet. Uh, all of the conditions are perfect for going out and getting to work in his fields. And he is grateful. He is grateful to God that those fields are ready to be worked. Well, a couple of weeks go by and he makes his way out into the field and he uh, looks up into the heavens and he reaches down and touches the soil and he prays to God, God, will you, will you pre, please bring us a harvest? We need to have a harvest. Please, God, that's what we desire is that we would have a fantastic harvest this year. That's, that's what we want. And he waits a couple of more weeks, and then he goes to his church family. And uh, he communicates to all of them, wouldn't it be great if, if uh, all of the farmers in the area would have a terrific harvest? And we should be praying that we would have a harvest. And they all gather together, and they pray for a harvest. A couple of weeks go by, and the uh, harvest isn't exactly uh, coming into play. So he gets on the phone, and he calls the church, and he communicates to the rest of the church family through the prayer chain and kind of put some things out there on social media that it would be fantastic if, in fact, there were a great harvest. And so he desires a great harvest, and he prays for a great harvest, and he asks others to pray for a great harvest. But if we have a desire... That's different than having actions. Do you desire to be holy unto God? It's one thing to have a desire to be holy unto God. It's very much a different thing to have actions to be holy. Listen to this. We might have a want to in our mind, but our behavior must follow. Holiness requires obedience to God. Holiness requires obedience to God. Holiness requires obedience to God. First John chapter 5 verse 3 says, this is love for God to obey his Commands. Romans chapter 6, verse 16. Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone to obey him as slaves, you are slaves to the one whom you obey? Whether you're slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. Book of Titus chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives this present, in this present age. Holiness requires Obedience. It requires 
action. Here's a picture of Keene Conservation. Picture of Keene Conservation. And uh, several years ago, my wife and I and a lot of friends, I had little kids. We would go canoeing uh, down the Raccoon River over in Dallas County in the middle of Iowa. And Keene Conservation is uh, um, an area that... Uh, uh, it's a beautiful conservation area, and it's on the uh, Raccoon River. And the, you can kind of see there's kind of a bend there right by the uh, Raccoon River. And if you kind of uh, look off to the left side over there, you see that log that's kind of floated up there and laying on the uh, the beach. And, and there's a it's really a sandy, it's kind of a beautiful little spot there. You can kind of come down from Keene Conservation. You can walk right down into that uh, water, and um, and uh, you start in, and it's only ankle deep. And then you get a little, go a little bit further, and, and then it's kind of knee deep. And and then it's waist deep, and then it's kind of chest deep, and then if you keep making your way, there's a unique bend right there in the Raccoon River. And most of the time, you can kind of walk the Raccoon River, or it might only be a foot or two deep, but here in that bend, it'll go up, it might be six feet deep in that bend, and so a lot of people go there just to swim in the Raccoon River, like we did many, many times. We took our kids there when they were younger, and it was kind of fun, because you could kind of make your way in at the north end there and kind of make your way down into the end of the water and then you kind of pick up your feet and then the current would just kind of take you down around the corner there until all of a sudden you could kind of feel the ground again and you'd stand up and you'd walk up towards the shore and maybe it'd be ankle deep and you could kind of walk back up along the beach for a while and you kind of go back into where the water was deep and you'd everybody would just kind of go as a big group and kind of pick up your feet again and it kind of float you down and uh, some of us would uh, walk where it was ankle deep. Some of the people would try to walk upstream where it was, uh, you know, waist deep, and they'd have to push a little bit harder. But usually somewhere in there, everybody would kind of make their way down into where it was kind of up to your chin, and then you would try to see if you could stand there. And, and so you'd, you know, it'd kind of push on you really hard, and you'd kind of have to lean into it, kind of push your foot down in the mud. And, and we would try this, uh, we'd try to make a stand. The current was moving really, really hard right through that bend, and we would uh, try to make a stand and the current would push, 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 but you would, we, we would, we would, we'd try to make a stand against the current. We would try to make a stand against the current. We'd try to make a stand. We live in a current. We live in a culture that is always trying to push us away from God. Uh, the devil uh, he owns this world. He's already defeated. He doesn't like that fact. He wants to drag everyone downstream with him. But we have to make a stand. The culture pushes and it pushes and it pushes. And it's just so easy to just kind of lift up your feet and go along with the flow. It's much harder to plant your feet and to make a stand. But holiness unto God requires obedience. It requires digging in your feet and making a stand. It requires making a stand. Just what I'd like to do is just kind of talk with you a little bit about some areas in our life that we, if we're going to be holy unto God, we have to make a stand. The first one is in our personal life. In our personal life, we have to make a stand. And maybe the first thing that we need to do is repent. Repent. 
Repent. We, we talked about this a few weeks ago. Repentance is I'm moving farther away from God. I'm moving farther away from God. I desire to repent. It means I turn around and I move back towards where God wants me to live my life. I have to make a stand. I have to flip it around and I have to go back towards God. And that means this. Matthew chapter 4 verse 17. Jesus began to preach. Repent or the kingdom of heaven is near. Maybe that's what some of you need to do, is uh, flip it around. Maybe that's what some of you need to do, is say, I've been moving away from God. I need to repent. I need to move back uh, towards God. Maybe uh, what you need to do is you need to con- uh, confess some sin and get right with God. And, and that's what you need to make a personal stand in your life. There's something that is moving you downstream, and you need to move away from that. And you need to repent and get right with God. That's the personal stand that you might need to make. Or maybe the personal stand that you need to make right now is uh, maybe you've been in the faith for a long, long time. You don't feel that you need to repent, but you need to do something that might be much harder in our culture today. You might need to make a personal stand to rejoice, to rejoice, to rejoice. Right now, there's a lot of reasons that we can find to not rejoice, especially in the culture that we live in right now. And I tend to be, uh, don't ask my wife, you don't, I don't, you don't have my permission to ask my wife about any of this, okay? But I tend to be kind of a half glass empty kind of a guy in a, lot, a lot of times in a lot of ways and some things and, and that can kind of be negative about some stuff. And so it's hard for Steve uh, to rejoice. When I look at the world and everything that's going on, I, I tend to be a little bit upset by that. But the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy, joy. Well, we'll just ignore that one, right? The evidence, the fruit of the Spirit, the evidence that your roots go down into the soil of God is that you would have joy in your life. But uh, sometimes joy is elusive. And so maybe what I need to do is make a stand because the devil is out there attempting to steal my joy. Sometimes the joy can kind of be pulled away because I look at uh, the enemy and I think he's winning. And so I kind of take that personally and like, why doesn't everybody do what God wants them to do? And, and Matthew chapter 5, verse 11. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, or falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. And maybe those aren't directly pointed at you, but maybe those are directly pointed at what you believe about the fact that we have a God in heaven. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. Great is your reward where? In heaven. Great is your reward... Rejoice because great is your reward in heaven. And so maybe what we need to do is make a personal stand that we would commit to do what God calls us to do and repent in our life or rejoice in our life. Maybe another place that we need to make a stand is for Christ's church. For Christ's church. We know the Great Commission Matthew chapter 28, therefore go and make disciples of all nations and baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, uh, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. We know that that is what uh, we are to do. Maybe what we need to do is write down the name of someone that we can invite to church. 
Write down the name of someone that we can invite to church. And now I'm going to give you kind of a sneaky backdoor kind of a way to approach this thing. Is that maybe when you think of who can I invite to church, maybe you're thinking of a peer. Well, maybe that's not where we can go. Maybe uh, there is a, a child or a grandchild or uh, a nephew or a niece or somebody like that around here. And um, you think, you know what? I bet they might enjoy kids club. And so you think about that child and you think, well, who is <clears throat> the parent there? And maybe I can reach out to that parent and just simply send an invitation that they would be a part of Wednesday kid club. Maybe that's a way. But we have to make a stand for our church because our church is the promoter of biblical truth. And our church is the foundation of biblical truth. According to scripture, that uh, the gates of hell will not, uh, will not prevail against the church. But uh, God has set it up in a way that the, the church is the place that uh, the message of the gospel of Christ is to go out. And we are those people and we, are to, uh, we, we have to make a stand for our church. And then we need to make a stand in our home. We need to make a stand in our home for children. uh, Scripture tells us to honor your mother and father. So for children, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 4, then God said, honor your father and your mother. For children, that's how you make a stand in your home. For the rest of us, the adults in the room, honor your marriage. Make a stand to honor your marriage. Honor your marriage. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25 says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Uh, Here's kind of a marriage pro tip. Um, This is something that is healthy uh, at every level uh, in every marriage. This is just something that's healthy to do. And that is that you would, uh, uh, men, you'd go to your spouse and uh, you would say, uh, honey, what would you desire uh, our marriage uh, to be? Uh, on a scale of 1 to 10, 10 being a perfect marriage and, you know, a 0 being a horrible marriage. And, uh, honey, what would you desire for our marriage to be? And hopefully she's going to say, I desire that it would be a 10, right? And then you ask her, well, honey, what is our marriage right now? And according to psychologists, they, uh, they will always answer two points lower uh, than you think they're going to answer. Okay? Uh, so you think, it's an eight, you know. And she's going to come back, it's a six. You know, you're going to feel offended. Don't be. It's just the way it's going to work. She's going to come back lower than you think. And, um, and so you ask, honey, what is, what is her marriage? It's a six. And then you ask this, men, you ask her this. What one or two things. What one or two things could I do to help us move our marriage closer to a ten? Now, ladies, this is not uh, you declaring open season on your mate. This is you think about that, and you think about what is one thing I wish my husband would do that would make me feel better in our marriage. Maybe that's around the home or whatever that is, and then, and then ladies, you go and you tell him, and then uh, and then you just kind of let go of that, and you know you, your job is not to then get the whip and follow them around and make sure and anything like that. It's just uh, and so uh, we make a stand in our marriage when we communicate that we desire that our marriage will be better. That is always the desire that our marriage would be better. And so, guys, a lot of times the reality is, guys, the reality is, a lot of times we're just kind of wandering around thinking everything's good. Oh, good. You know, I mean, I came home from work today. What else does she need, right? You know, 
but we need to ask the question, and we'll find out there's things there that maybe we're a little bit blind to because we're guys. That's just the way it works. So make a stand in your home. Children, honor the parents. Honor your marriage. Make a stand in our community, in our community. Uh, you can have a, a physical community of people that we uh, bump into and that we're around and uh, maybe you're in some sort of a meeting with or a club with or uh, whatever, but there's also a social network uh, community. There were already people when, when I came to church today, there were people that came up to me and they came up to my wife and they, the first words out of their mouth was, congratulations. And we look at it and go, wait, huh, huh? You know, and that's because our daughter, our youngest daughter, got engaged yesterday. And they know about that because there is social media. They're not because we called them and said, hey, guess what? But because of social media. And so we have a social media community as well. And so we need to make a stand in our community. And we need to listen. We need it in our community, whether it's social media or whether it's they're all around us. We need to do this in our community Beware of false prophets. Write that down. Beware of false prophets. Matthew chapter 7, verse 15 and 16. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. Don't we see that being pumped out in our in our world today? Russia, Russia, you know, they're behind everything and those kinds of things are out there and, you know, and fact checkers. And um, I saw something on the media that said, uh, if there needs to be fact checkers and there are fact checkers on all of the different networks, how about if they just present the facts and we'll call that the news, right? Why does, why does news need to be fact checked? And, and so there's all these agendas that are out there. And so um, more than ever, we need to be aware. We need to be aware of false prophets. And there's a lot of false prophets out there. And there are false prophets out there that want us to believe that we and all mankind is a giant accident. There are false prophets out there that want us to believe that there is no God and we're just a result of some cosmic big bang or something like that and that we weren't created, we're an accident, we're a giant accident. We are way too complex. It is a statistical impossibility. I I heard a statistic a long time ago that said, what is the statistical uh, odds that um, any part of any uh, living thing could have randomly popped into existence? And they said, you take the state of Texas and you cover it two feet deep in quarters and then you paint one of those quarters black and you bring bulldozers around and you mix it somewhere randomly into the state of Texas and then you walk for days and days through Texas and then all of a sudden you decide to reach down, reach in and pull out a quarter and you'd pull out that one quarter. It's a statistical impossibility that we are an accident. And you hear people say, well, you got to follow the science. Well, yes, please follow the science. It's a statistical, there are false prophets all around us. There there are false prophets that want to promote that young people today get to choose their gender. That's a false prophet. God made men and women different and he made them beautiful to complement one another. And there are false prophets out there today that I want us to believe, now listen to this, I'm going to go down this road, but I want you to hear what I'm saying. There are false prophets that uh, they're even trying to pass legislation that a a mom could abort her baby right up to the ninth month. 
You know, the day before her due date, she should be able to walk into a clinic and just say, I've decided not to have this baby, and at that day that she should be able to abort that baby. Now, here's, here's what I believe about that. I, I don't think that any mom... I don't think any mom has that desire, and that's probably not going to happen, that she would walk in at that late date. And, and, but that's not the way it's going to play out. I don't believe it's going to play out that way. But what kind of a culture do we want to live in that would say that that's okay? There are false prophets out there. We don't want to live in a place like that. We want to live in a place where everyone is wanted and loved and That's the kind of culture that Jesus wants us to promote. There's false prophets out there. Listen to this. There are false prophets that want us... Now listen very carefully to what I'm saying. Think think through this. There are false prophets out there that want us to be scared to die. Now... You know, nobody in the room wants to die today. I get that. We don't. And any volunteers? You know, no. Nobody, nobody wants to die today, right? But that's very different than being scared to die, right? That's very different. And there are people out there that push sort of this, you know, the worst thing, the worst thing is that you could die. And, and I understand that. I, I want to, you know, I want to see my grandkids grow up and be a part of all of those things. But... I am to make a stand. And I am to have action in my life that others could look at that would say, he is standing on Jesus Christ and his hope is beyond everything that we experience here. He lives for a father in heaven who sent a son to pay the price for my sins and that is my hope and my eternal destination, and I look forward to the day when I can walk from this place and step in one step into the presence of a loving Father who will welcome me. And if that is how I am living my life in holiness unto God, nothing that I need to be afraid of on this earth. Paul was getting to that when he wrote this in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Do you not know that in a race, all the runners run, but only one gets a prize? Therefore, he goes on and he says, I do not run like a man running aimlessly. I do not fight like a man beating the air. No, I beat my body and I make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. What is the prize? Not a temporary prize. It's an eternal prize that we would live our lives in a way that we were holy unto God, rest assured, assured, that when we ask ourselves, how would I define myself, I would simply answer, I am set apart and holy unto a God that loves me and cares for me and sent his son for me. I am holy. It's a good way to live. A good way to live. I don't know all of your stories if 
you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior, if you've never made a commitment to be baptized, to be immersed into Jesus Christ, I would encourage you to do that. That's what Jesus wants you to do. Surrender your life to him. If you need to make a decision like that, I would love to have that conversation with you anytime. Come in, call, we'll sit down, we'll work that out. In the meantime, for those of us that know Jesus, let's live boldly and bravely for him. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your love for us. Thank you that you've taken care of all of the obstacles. You've already broke them down. Help us to live for you. Again, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.